Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that I find almost no one wants to talk about, but it is extremely necessary. We're going to spend some time talking about the reality of sexual assaults among children. We're going to talk about how rare stranger danger is and how much more common cousin danger is. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello. Welcome back. Uh, We are going to end the series. In fact, it's ended. We're going to start a new topic today. For the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, we've been talking about not living your life by one chapter, not allowing other people to define your life by one chapter. As we move into the summer, uh, lots of good things going on. We're in the middle of a heat wave here in my hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is hot. Uh, I love the heat, so I'm good with that. Maybe you're not. Uh, Somebody wrote in and asked me if I could do an episode on not complaining about the weather or weather people. And I always laugh at uh, people who complain about the weather people. Um, If my dad listens to this, I want him to know that, yes, I do make fun of him, too, for this. Uh, You know, if a weather person told you that there is 98% chance that there's going to be sunshine today and it rains, that unfortunately does not mean they were wrong. It just means that the 2% hit. And, And I think this anger that people have over, well, they said this, is because we want to control everything. And we can't control the weather. And the idea that someone could tell you what the weather is going to do tomorrow with 100% accuracy or even 60% accuracy uh, as far as what it's actually going to do is silly to me. And it leads to this idea of understanding statistics and critical thinking, which is a whole nother day. And I've probably already lost 10 people who are just like, wait, we're talking about math. We're not talking about math. Uh, My math nerd friends, I'm sorry, we're not. What we're going to actually talk about today is two things. Someone wrote in and they wanted me to talk about a a little bit more about some of the sexual assault things that I mentioned in a few of the past episodes. One uh, One of the things that I see a lot when I'm doing therapy with adults is adults who are sexually assaulted as children and there's not a lot of, of understanding of what it means. In fact, I can't tell you how often people say to me, well, I wouldn't really call it abuse. And then they go on to completely explain to me what happened to them. And it's abuse. And, and so today, one of the things that we're going to talk about how in life, we'll, we will often have to avoid simple explanations. Uh, and we're going to talk about what that has to do with sexual abuse. The, the thing about simple explanations is that they are appealing because they offer us control when we're forced to face the reality of our lack of control. And if you go back to the to, to the weather person, weather people uh, analogy or illustration earlier, the anger comes because we don't have control over what's happening with the weather or with what they're saying, and it somehow inconveniences our lives. And, and so this often happens too. When we start talking about sexual assault, the, the simplest answer is, well, you know, sexual predators are these scary-looking old men, probably white dudes, living in their mom's basement, 
uh, eating Cheetos dipped in Crisco, looking at copious amounts of porn, and you know they hide out, you, you know, in a, in a van, and they're like, "Hey, kids, you want some candy?" The reality is, most sexual offenders that you'll ever meet are going to be very charming. They're going to be very uh, agreeable. You're you're going to like them. And they're probably going to be a lot younger than you care to think about. Uh, this is this is just a difficult topic to face. I, I think in part because of that reality, and so often people will ignore the reality of what type of person is actually most prone to be a sexual offender, because the simple ex- explanation brings us comfort. I was talking to a friend of mine, not a client. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who's diabetic. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I often think about how I manage my diabetes now. And I I guess uh, if I understand it right, I'm not his doctor, so I'm not violating HIPAA. uh, And I don't actually know this. I just know what he told me. But he said, "I, I manage my diabetes through diet and exercise. He says, and all he said, and all of the things that I do, I could have done before. I used to uh, get medical reports and it would say that, I don't remember the word he used, it was something in his system. I skipped all the days of medical school, but something was high, and I could have done this, and I could have done that, but I was like, rah, rah, rah. you know, my parents didn't have diabetes, I won't get diabetes, I'm just going to outwork it. And now he has diabetes in his late 50s, and he is managing it by doing all the things that he put off, but what, the reason he put them off was the simple explanation brought him comfort, the more difficult explanation of I have to rearrange my schedule to fit better time for exercise in, to fit better diet in, he didn't want to face. And so he chose the easier explanation. And we will often do this. And so we're going to talk about that today. Before we do that, I have some very scary statistics for you in regards to sexual offenders. There is this pervasive uh, fear of stranger danger, right? Which, which you know, exists. Certainly it exists. But by and large, it is incredibly less than anything that probably any of us would care to admit. There's probably far less stranger danger for children than there is actual known danger, people we know danger. And then we start talking about minors. And here's just some statistics. Imagine if I could talk, like if I had to do that for a living. Here are some statistics that I want you to consider. Adolescent sex offenders ages 13 to 17 commit a substantial number of sex crimes, including 17% of all arrests for sex crimes and approximately one-third of all sex offenses against children. Now, I want to just unpack that for a minute. 17%, you're like, well, Joe, that's one in five. Yep, that's kind of high to me, especially considering how much time the kids have together. And then one-third of all sex offenses against children. One of the things that you have to remember when we start talking about sex crimes is there is a substantial fall-off the number of sexual assaults to actual arrests because a lot of them don't get reported. We don't really know what to do with peer-to-peer sexual assault, uh, which I know that that's going to inflame people. But the reality is, as a society, we want it both ways. We don't want kids locked up. But we don't want, and we don't want them, you know, to to be to have their life ruined. I'm putting that in air quotes. But we also we want we should want justice for the victims of sexual assault. And so there there's that there there's a lot of people who are assaulted who never ever report it. 
because they feel intense shame, because they feel intense pain, because they feel uh, intensely marginalized in, in how we approach it. Uh, and so, so if the numbers, if one third of the numbers for sex uh, offenses arrest, if if one third's the number, roughly thirty three percent, it's probably in the forty percent, which is almost half. Yeah, I mean, if it's just at forty, that's almost half. The the one third number is, is the people that actually get arrested. How many people commit and don't get arrested? That's the thing we have to ask. Child-on-child sexual abuse is more likely than adult sex offenses to occur in groups and at school. Now, this is something that my religious and and group activity-oriented friends have to consider. Uh, A number of years ago, my children wanted to go to an overnight thing that our our youth group did, and I said no. And they were like, well, why? I was like, well, your chances of getting sexually assaulted are just too high. Well, but you'll let us go to retreats. I do because the payoff there to me is higher than an overnight event just for fun. And I'm not even saying that they would. We have great, our youth group had great leaders at the time, had great uh, uh, volunteers. They were well-trained. But nobody can stay awake all night and be vigilant. Trained soldiers can't do it. Most military action plans uh, call for an assault in the middle of the night because trained soldiers can't stay awake. Chris and Heather who have worked 10 hours that day and barely ate supper and then got on a bus and drove an hour to the four-mile project are not going to be alert at 3 a.m. I don't care how many monsters they drink. And so my kids couldn't go because I knew this statistic. And so I chose to make a decision based on risk versus possible return on investment or the reward. And that, that's the point of this. That's what I want you to be able to do. I want you to know the facts so that you can make an informed decision on what kind of approach you want to take uh, on, on the things you let your children do. I have good friends who do not let their children have sleepovers. I found this out because my son wanted to have them sleep over uh, with us on vacation. And they were like, no, we don't allow that. And they're like, hope we don't offend. No, you don't offend me. That's a good call. Good for you. And if you only if you didn't let your kid only sleep over at my house, I might be offended. Uh, juveniles, okay, I already read that one. Sorry, child-on-child sexual abuse tends to involve more male and younger victims. The percentage of child-on-child sexual abuse is highest between ages 15 and 17. Now that means that the perpetrator is between those ages. Child-on-child sexual abuse most often occurs in the home, 68% of the time. Somewhat less than that of adult sex offenses, 80%. I'm just reading statistics here. I don't know what I think of that last sentence, but I'll tell you this. The 68% of the time, that's rough. We'll just say 7 out of 10. Child-on-child sexual abuse most often occurs in the home. It's not stranger danger. It's home danger. It's someone you know, and you're like, oh, there's something off about that person. Well, but it's this person's kid, or it's this, or it's that, or they've always been a little bit different. It's someone you know seven times out of ten. And we're going to have to talk. One of the things that scares me about this episode is we're going to have to talk about the number of times it occurs in, in second relationship marriages, families. Offenses against teenagers are typically higher amid, among mid to late adolescents, while offenses against victims under the age of 12 are typically lower. 
About one out of every eight juvenile offenders is under the age of 12, and child-on-child sexual abuse comprises more than one quarter of all of sex offenses. Now, I would actually argue the reason for that is because prosecutors are very reluctant to bring charges against children. So if the offender is under the age of 12, prosecutors are very typically, in my experience, so this is anecdotal, I do have a lot of law enforcement friends who also anecdotal, but who would support me on this, that one, that, that the reason those numbers are so low is because most prosecutors are reluctant to charge someone. And all of these numbers get a little skewed because in society, we have some prosecutors who are willing to prosecute a 15-year-old for sending naked pictures of him or herself to their 16-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend, and, and they'll prosecute them, even though they could go to each other's house and get naked and have sex, get pregnant, go have an abortion, and we would never even blink at that. But they'll prosecute them for the pictures because the law says any, any distribution of pictures of someone under 18 is, is a sexual crime. And, and so this gets a little muddy. I'm not necessarily talking about that. Uh, that's probably a whole different conversation. Please don't assume that you know what I think on that uh, just by that little side rant. I will say this. I understand why they're reluctant to prosecute children, young children, and I'm glad that I'm not a prosecutor. But I do think that number is low because of that. Okay, another statistic here. Those who have been identified as having committed child-on-child sexual abuse cover a broad age range. 5% are under the age of 9 years old. 16% are less than 12 years old. 38% are between ages of 12 and 14. 46% are between the ages of 15 and 17. And here's a number where we're going to have to camp out and unpack for a little bit. 93% are male. Nine out of every 10 offenders are male. I think part of that is, again, I do think prosecutors are less likely to prosecute a female. Uh, One of the things that my daughter was rattling off as, as her and I were talking about this was how many assaults she's heard of and she has actually some statistics on how rare it is for male victims to say anything to anyone because people tend to just not believe them in any way. So here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that because people are or the vast majority of of male victims don't report that the numbers aren't skewed towards males being the the number one perpetrator. That is, I believe, a relatively uncontested argument. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'll let other people argue that a different day. That's not really the point of today's episode. But I do want to talk about the fact that sexual assault happens and it's almost always, it's regularly, maybe is a better word, between people that know each other. Uh, 90% of sexual abuse victims know their perpetrators. Some reports say 30%. I've seen as low as 30% of sexual abuse is never reported. I've heard as high as 50%. I don't know the actual number, but but I do know that there are a lot that go unreported because we don't, as a society, uh, we, we have not done a really good job of handling those reports often. And part of that is, especially when we start talking about family-on-family assault, and and something we don't want to talk about is brothers are assaulting sisters, and sometimes sisters are assaulting brothers. Cousins are assaulting cousins. And a lot of times when that happens, there is a family-level 
of cover-up. There is a family level of just sweep it under the rug, pretend it didn't happen. People bring pressure to bear because, oh, you're going to ruin his life. Well, he should have thought about that before he assaulted a little kid. And here's why. One of the things that you have to consider, on average, a pedophile will commit 120 crimes, uh, sexual crimes. So there's more crimes, I'm sure, but 120 sexual crimes in their lifetime. That's on average. So by the time you find out that the person that you know is assaulting someone, it's probably not their first time, and they're probably not going to stop. Now, if it's actually peer-to-peer, those numbers skew a little bit. So if they're actually, you know, 13 and 14, there's actually relatively good research to suggest that perhaps that that a large chunk of, of those assaulters will not actually offend as adults. They certainly at least won't offend with children. But anytime we go beyond a certain age age gap, most of the times the assaulter will continue to assault. And so when we cover it up, we enable them to hurt other people. And that is not something that you want. So if right now in your family there's something going on, you need to not cover it up. You need to let whatever needs to happen to help the pedophile not be a pedophile to happen. You need to let whatever happens that needs to happen to help the perpetrator not perpetrate again to happen. And it will be painful. Okay, so what does this have to do with the idea of simple explanations are often favored, they're often chosen, we often prefer them because they give us some level of of certainty that may or may not exist. They give us a feeling of sub-level of control. One of the things that happens when there is a sexual assault is it's not just a physical assault. It's It's an assault across all three planes of a person. It attacks them emotionally. It attacks their volitional plane, of, and that's just a fancy way to say their action plane, the things that they do that are actionable. It's, it robs them of power, and so as they are robbed of their self-power, not only does it affect them, but it affects their family, it affects the people around them, and often a lot of people want to cover it up because they don't want to go through the pain of, of dealing with it, of, of processing it, of getting into counseling, of sitting in a room and reliving the pain of sitting in a room and going through the healing. In fact, one of the things, I've said this before, I'll say it again, one of the things that I'm constantly amazed about is how many people will pay me just to sit in a room and, and not really want to get into the pain. They'll deflect, they'll, 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 they'll talk about, you know, oh, did you hear about this story? And they want to go on and on and on. In fact, sometimes the best therapeutic thing I can do is just sit there and let that storm blow out and then kind of still be sitting there and be like, okay, so we're going to talk about, you know, processing whatever it is that we're processing and for families whose you know somehow this has touched their lives one of the harsh realities that you have to face is nothing's ever going to be the same again I know this word this phrase was hijacked in 2020 but uh, there will have to be a new normal there will have to be a new reality because as you heal the you that experienced the trauma or the you that existed before the trauma, doesn't exist anymore. It changes. All change is lost and all loss should be grieved. And so as we start to lean into what's going on in our society, one of the realities is probably you know people who have been sexually assaulted. Probably you know people who have been violently sexually assaulted and you have no idea that you know them. Probably. 
chances are good that you know at least one child under the age of 18 that is currently being somehow, some way abused or assaulted. So what do we do about that? Well, this is where we have to eschew essentially easy answers. We have to, we have to avoid them. We have to be willing to realize that we're going to live in some tension. There's going to be complicated answers after we do a few of the easy things. First easy thing, create safety for your children to tell you if something happens. Let them know that if anything feels wrong, they shouldn't do it. Teach them to trust their gut. Teach them to trust their feelings and come to you and talk to you about them. And then you cannot overreact. And that's the hard part. So if you have children, you want to teach them, it's okay to come tell me anything and I won't overreact. So we'll start there by creating safety. One of the things that uh, someone observed, I don't know, I, I was, I think I was at, at a church service and someone was preaching about how often with couples, there will be a question asked. And then when the answer comes and it's not one that they wanted, it, it's not a safe place. It's not a safe place to share those answers. And, and that I have used that in therapy and that extrapolates down to our kids we have to be safe people for our children. And by safe people, one of the things we have to do is we have to control our reactions. We have to respond, not react, which is a thought out action. A response is a thought out action. So, so we do that with our kids, right? Then the second thing that we do is you got to trust your own gut. I cannot tell you how many parents I've talked to who have said to me, you, you know what? I knew something was wrong and I didn't do anything. I just wrote off. I chose the simple answer which is, no, 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 that's this person, or that's where they've always been that way, or whatever it is. I hear that a lot. Don't do that. If there's something going on inside of you, just investigate it. Don't accuse, don't call the cops just because something's going on inside of you, but investigate it. Sit down. Keep your kids safe. Be willing to endure the scorn of, of relatives. I do not understand our society's obsession that all of our cousins have to hang out. I just don't. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe because I didn't do that as much with my cousins when I was a kid. But given the number of, of familial uh, assaults, it's something that I would think about. And I know if you, if I don't know if any of my relatives listen to this show or not, but if you do, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just saying I don't understand it. That's, that's kind of my little rant for the morning. I've only had about three sips of coffee uh, for this recording and... My brain is is still a little addled. Uh, that is two old person words, and I have a friend that I do. I I make fun of for old people words, and now I'm afraid that they're rubbing off on me. I've used two old people words in like the last eight minutes. Anyhow, if you're an older person and I just offended you, feel free to send me an email, Joe at JoeMartino.com, and we'll talk about it. Uh, but don't don't over don't ignore your gut. Just don't do that. Now, let's say that we've set up protocols, and I think that's the third one, which I didn't mention. We need to set up protocols with our kids. We need to set up boundaries. I talked a little bit about that earlier in the episode, how I don't let my kids do certain things, but I do let them do other things. It's because I've sat down and kind of reasoned through what, what's the risk here? What's the reward? How does one way out, outweigh the other? And then once we've done that, here's the thing. Here's some, some simple things. If your child tells you that someone touched them, you believe them. In the absence of them having a history of lying, you believe them. And if the history of lying is new, you believe them. Because the history of lying that's new might be a record of, or an indicator of the abuse going on. Now, if they have like a lifetime history of lying, you probably want to investigate it a little bit. But even then, you believe them. 
and you call authorities and let them work it out. You let them work it out. And in some states, here's why we do this. First of all, we do it because I believe it's the right thing. It's a simple answer. I know I just, I led, I opened this episode with, we want to be cautious of simple answers. But there are some simple answers, right? You don't stick a fork into an electric outlet. That's just a simple, easy to understand solution. Calling the authorities to me is a simple, easy to understand solution. In part because in many, many states, if you don't, and it comes out later, the state can prosecute you for failure to protect your children. And then you've really created problems for yourself that you didn't gain anything by. You do not gain anything. Here's the easiest simple solution for me. You do not gain anything but allowing someone to hurt other people by covering up for a perpetrator. There's just no, there's no benefit to it. And I know in the moment it feels like there is. I know in the moment people are like, well, we've got to protect him. He's such a sweet boy. I'm sorry if you're whoever this sweet boy is, is raping someone. He's not sweet. If he's forcing someone to perform sexual acts on him, he's not sweet. Well, you don't understand. He's had a hard life. I do understand. And honestly, I get it. It's, it's our desire for justice can be conflicting with our desire for compassion, our desire that we love people who do bad things. I get that. I do. And at the same time, it's really simple. Call the authorities. And then how do we handle the aftermath of the abuse? That's actually what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about if you're an adult survivor of sexual abuse in your childhood, in your teenage years, how, you know, how, how do you move forward? How do you help yourself? How can other people help you, etc.? If you love someone who's been sexually assaulted, how can you help them? Uh, and this will not be, we're going to, we are going to parse out a little bit, uh, certain forms of adult sexual assault, um, a little bit, a, a lot of the help can be similar, but we are going to approach that next week. This week, I honestly, if you listen to this show and you have kids, I just wanted you to be aware of some numbers. I cannot tell you how often someone sits in my room and they tell me that they were assaulted as a child. Uh, and, and we want to... We need we need to start talking about. It. I want us to start talking about. It. I don't know if we want to, but I want us to start talking about it, because that is how we will bring healing to our friends, to our cities, to our states, and maybe to our nation. Uh, one thing that a friend did tell me, uh, reminded me of, is one of the things that she works with with, as she calls them, kiddos, uh, students. She works with students. And uh, she tells parents all the time, give your kids permission to never keep a secret. No one's allowed to say, hey, let's keep a secret. One of the things that perpetrators do is they will often say, can you keep a secret? They'll build a secret. They will create a transactional relationship. So you might have, you know, I, I don't know, you're at a barbecue and someone is like, hey, I did this for you. So now you have to go do this for me back here, but we got to keep it secret. They create a power struggle, uh, a power imbalance, where if you tell anybody, they're going to be mad at you, not me, because you did this. Uh, recently, uh, a local celebrity played Major League Baseball, was arrested for molesting girls in his high school uh, where he was working as a coach. And in his sentencing, he actually was allowed to speak to the victims about how he thought someday they could write a wonderful book. And people are like, oh, those girls made that up. 
That's the stuff. I know I said I was done, but I'm just going to go on a rant here for a minute. That's the stuff that drives me nuts. Like I actually had a, a friend, a person I really respect say to me, well, I know him and he's actually, oh, that doesn't sound like I respect her very much, huh? Well, anyhow, I didn't respect her in this moment. I know him and he's actually a very nice guy. And those five girls, five, not one, not two, but five, like I can get it. There are certainly people who have mental issues and sometimes they make stuff up, but five people, Anyhow, those five girls made it up. So I said, okay, just for the sake of the argument, I'll give it to you that those five girls made it up. What about the 10 guys that all admitted, yeah, we, we tell jokes about how he takes them into the room. Everybody else gets worked on in, in, out in the main part, but he takes those girls in the back. Are, are those guys making it up? And see, this is what I'm talking about when I say we don't treat victims very well. I'm not saying we should, we should especially... As, they, as people age, right, as, as people age and some of their mental and emotional distresses come out, I'm not saying that we should just blatantly accept everything, but that's why we turn it over to authorities and we let them investigate. And I want to be really careful to say I don't believe that victim when I don't know anything about that victim. Now, there are certainly times I think, I think a lot of things get involved. And, and, and as people get older, a lot of things happen, but that's a different day. No secrets. Be a safe person for your kids. If you're not, start today. Take your kids, sit them down and be like, look, there's just, I want you to know there's nothing you're ever going to tell me that, that I'm going to stop loving you. Tell them that on repeat. Well, they already know. No, they don't. Tell them that on repeat. Nothing you do will cause me to love you less. And then when they tell you, don't overreact. That's a big deal. All right, next week we're going to talk more about this. We're probably going to camp out on this topic for a few weeks. Uh, if you like this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends. That is the best form of advertising that I could have. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.